0: one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learnt that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace.
1: Thank you, Malcolm, very much. Uh, if we've not met, my name's Mike. I'm, uh, like Richard, part of the church family here. Uh, let's pray again as we, as we come to God's word. The psalmist says, Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we pray, Lord, that it would be that to us this morning. Please help us to see the truth and show us how we should live for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, it seems that you can't do anything or go anywhere or buy anything these days without being asked to give it a value. You know, the sort of thing almost before you've got out of the store or out of the shop, you get an email or a, a text. On a scale of naught to 10, how likely are you to recommend your recent purchase of a bag of multipurpose compost? or whatever it is. Well, this morning is going to be no different, although it will be different, because the question this morning concerns not something trivial like a bag of compost, but something that has huge significance. And the question is this. On a scale of 0 to 10, where 0 is not at all, and 10 is above all else, How much do we love Jesus? Why does our answer have such significance? Well, verse 47 is the key verse in our passage. And it tells us why our answer to that question has such significance. End of verse 47 says, For he who is forgiven little loves little. I think we'd all agree that how much I value the bag of compost is really neither here nor there. It might be of some marginal interest to the analysts at B&Q, or whoever it is. But of course, how I, much le- how I love Jesus is, neither here nor- is not neither here nor there. Why? Because it's a mark of how much I've been forgiven. Uh, if you've been with us recently, you'll know that we're doing a, a series this summer on Encounters with Jesus. And last week we looked at what happened when three people met Jesus. Well, today we have two more, and they meet at a memorable meal. And the first person that we meet is Simon. Verse 36, Simon, one of the Pharisees, asked him to eat with him. In Jesus' time, the Pharisees, as you know, they were the religious leaders of the day, and they had many commendable characteristics. But if we know our New Testament, we'll also know that the Pharisees in general don't come out of it very well. Every time in Luke's Gospel, for example, that the Pharisees appear, it's in opposition to Jesus. They're hostile to Jesus. And there's a sense of that here, actually. Simon invites Jesus to eat with him, and you might think, well, that's a kind, generous, hospitable thing to do. But his treatment of Jesus would indicate otherwise. The way he treats Jesus makes it clear, actually, that Jesus isn't invited as an honored guest. So verse 44, Jesus points out to Simon and Simon hasn't extended to Jesus the basic courtesies of of having visitors. No water for his feet, no oil for his hair, no no, no kiss of greeting. So why did Simon invite Jesus? Well, we don't know. might just have been curiosity, but quite possibly with with a more sinister motive, which we might come to later. But whatever the reason... It's fair to say that the meal didn't turn out as Simon had anticipated and the reason for that is because of the second character that we read about and she is the woman, verse 37, behold a woman of the city. Who is this woman? We don't know, she doesn't have a name. Uh, she's almost certainly not Mary Magdalene, who appears as a new figure in the next chapter. Uh, she's got no name, but she does have a label. And the label is sinner. Verse 37 verse 39. Uh, Luke isn't specific about her sin, but she has a reputation. Her life it is so well known that even the good Pharisee Simon... Is aware of her lifestyle. He knows what sort of woman she is. Other than that, actually, we know very little about her. Simon speaks, she doesn't speak. We're told what Simon's thinking, we're not told, we don't know what she's thinking. We might wonder actually how this woman actually got in. How did she actually get into this dinner party? You know, if we're having a dinner party, we wouldn't just let anyone sort of roll in, would we? In the Middle East, in those times, houses houses were different, and it was common to have a large area for eating, and it could be a a courtyard, or it could be a a veranda. And also, it wasn't uncommon, actually, to allow access to a meal, albeit to observe, particularly if there was some important teacher coming, and people could could stand around and listen. And as the the picture shows, this is an, an example of the sort of situation it might have been. The the eating arrangements weren't like ours. I don't quite know what the medics would would sort of think of whether this is a good way to eat. But basically, you can see the food is in the middle on the table. And then what happens is, is you lie on couches so that your head is near the food and then your feet are out behind you. And that explains why the woman is able to stand behind Jesus' feet as he's having his meal. So the woman comes. Why did she come? Well, pretty obviously not because she was invited. Simon, the good Pharisee, wouldn't have invited her to his uh, meal. She came simply, verse 37, because Jesus was there. It was a brave thing to do, given her reputation and where she was coming. So, so far, so normal. Normal. But then it all changes and the ordinary meal becomes anything but, verse 38, there is weeping, there's wiping of his feet with her hair, kissing his feet, anointing, it all becomes rather sort of embarrassing, certainly shocking. The interesting thing is, the shock for Simon and his guests isn't the fact, actually, that she's there. That's not the shock. The shock is verse 39, that Jesus is allowing this woman with that reputation to be near him and touching him. No self-respecting, righteous man in those days would allow that. Why not? Well, for fear of becoming unclean themselves. I was wondering about this, and I was wondering if Simon actually was rather secretly pleased when he sees the woman touching Jesus. As I've mentioned in the Gospels, the Pharisees are generally hostile to Jesus, that they're looking for, for reasons to discredit Jesus. And I wonder if Simon is now thinking that, well, actually, he's now got, if you like, proof that Jesus can't be the person that they were. all these people are saying he is. You could almost see him compiling a report in his head to go back to say, well, actually, you don't need to worry about Jesus because he clearly isn't that special. Don't you just love the irony of verse 39? Not only does Jesus know exactly what sort of person this woman is, but he knows exactly what Simon is thinking. So Jesus has something to tell Simon. And what he has to tell him is a very simple story. Verse 41, two people owed money. Um, The denarius, it was a sort of day's pay for a laborer uh, in those days. Now, I tried to do some sort of calculations, uh, I May I got this completely wrong, so if you're a, a laborer, come up to me afterwards and say, this is completely not what I'm earning. Um, so today's terms, uh, one had a debt of around £65,000 equivalent written off, and the other had a debt of about 6500 It's a simple story, and there's no trick in Jesus' question to Simon in verse 42. Nobody could get that wrong. And Simon doesn't. He gives the right answer. It's obvious. The one who owed 500 denarii is going to love more because they're forgiven more. I wonder when the penny, or denarius I suppose, dropped for Simon, that Jesus was actually talking about himself and the forgiveness that he brings. Maybe it never did. But maybe... He began to see it as, in verse 44, Jesus turns to the woman. And as we read the story, I just wonder if you got how the the whole emphasis of the story changes. That instead of the focus being in the middle of that meal and Simon and his guests, as Jesus turns, the whole focus turns on to this woman. She's the center of attention. Why? Well, I think because she's illustrating the truth of the simple story that Simon has just been told. She loves Jesus because she understands how much she's been forgiven. And that's the point of his story. He, she, who is forgiven little, loves little. But he, she, who's forgiven much, loves much. But that's not all because then In verse 48, Jesus makes a startling declaration. Verse 48, he said to her, your sins are forgiven. It's hard for us this morning, isn't it, to to get the force of that. Possibly because for many many of us, we're very familiar with the story. And we're very familiar with the idea that Jesus forgives sins. But the declaration is startling for two reasons. The first is as we've had before quite often, as any Jew would know, it's only God who can forgive sins. So for Jesus to claim that he's forgiving sins, well, it's not surprising that in verse 49, the other guests start asking, well, who is this? Because nobody else could forgive sins. But it's more startling when you hear who it's being addressed to. Because around the table, you've got respectable Simon, and Simon's respectable friends, presumably. And yet, it's addressed to this woman, the woman who Simon and his other friends have dismissed as the sinner. It's to her that Jesus says, verse 48, your sins are forgiven. What is it that prompts Jesus to say that? It's her actions. Verse 47. What prompts Jesus to make this declaration is the fact that she's wiping his feet with her tears. As Jesus sees her doing it, he declares her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But it's so important that we don't misunderstand this. Jesus is not saying she is forgiven Because of what she's done. The word for in verse 47 does not mean because of. The word for there means evidenced by. She does what she does not in order to get forgiveness, rather, to show her gratitude for the forgiveness that she's been given. Her love isn't earning her forgiveness. It's a sign of her forgiveness. Verse 50, Jesus says, Your faith has saved you. He makes it clear it's not her actions that have saved her, it's her faith and trust in Jesus. Uh, Bishop J.C. Ryle was Bishop of Liverpool in the 19th century, and he said this To explain these words as meaning that the woman's sins were forgiven because she loved much is to contradict flatly the whole lesson of the six preceding verses. Our Lord's meaning must manifestly be, her love is proof of her forgiveness. Now, don't like me, but maybe you're then scratching your heads and thinking, right, okay, got that, but when was she forgiven? We've already thought, quite a lot there's a lot we don't know about this woman. We don't know when she first came across Jesus, when she first heard him speak. When she first heard of his offer of forgiveness. But maybe she heard him, and she heard him say, Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Maybe she'd, she'd heard him talking to sinners and saying, Come to me. We don't know. But what we do know is that she understood enough to know that Jesus could forgive sins and would forgive sins and sinners like her. And so she came and she wept tears of gratitude, repentance, and relief. She was wetting the feet of the person who is willing to accept her, her of all people. Jesus says her sins are many, but her sins are forgiven. Someone else comments, we're not to suppose that these words in verse 47 mean that the woman's sins were now forgiven for the first time. The woman was forgiven before she came to wash Jesus' feet. She now receives a public declaration of it. That's the startling declaration. But as Jesus says that, actually we ought to notice there's something else going on here. As we read the Gospels, as Jesus meets people, each time he meets them, he's revealing, yes, his authority and his power and his authority to forgive sins. But each time he meets people, he's also revealing something of the kingdom of God that he's come to bring. So, uh, if you've been with us last week, we found Jesus confronted with sickness. And as he heals, what's he doing? Well, he's pointing to a kingdom of heaven where there will be no sickness. Earlier in this chapter, uh, he meets uh, a a woman who has a, a son who's died. And as he raises the young man from the dead, he's pointing to a kingdom. A kingdom where there will be no mourning or crying or pain or death. It's a kingdom of eternal life. And so we've got it here. This woman comes to Jesus, uh, to all the world, and maybe to herself, a, a woman of utter shame. And what happens when Jesus meets her? What happens to her shame. Forgiven, yes, but what happens to her shame? Well, verse 44 is interesting, isn't it? Jesus turns to the woman, said to the Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She has wet my feet with her tears. Who is the one put to shame here? It's Simon, isn't it? Simon's the one put to shame for the way he's treated Jesus or not treated Jesus. What's happened to the woman's shame? Well, well, let's ask. Who in this incident is the only one who is honored by Jesus? It's the unnamed, sinner-labeled woman. It's another pointer to the kingdom of heaven. It's a kingdom in which there will be no shame. I wonder if we've got that. Maybe some of us are are carrying a burden of shame in our lives. Shame at things that maybe we've done, maybe shame at things that have just just happened to us. and Some of it is hidden, but some of it is so obvious that we just feel it almost defines us. And we just think everyone's aware of it. Learn from this woman. This woman spent most of this meal with her head down, totally covered. And what happens now? She can walk her way, with her head held high. Why? Because she has been honored by Jesus. The Jesus, the one she cared about more than anybody else. In the kingdom of heaven, Jesus forgives our sin, yes. But he also takes our shame. And and in its place, we share in his kingdom and honor and glory. Well, these are the two people that we meet today, two people with very different attitudes to Jesus. And as I was sort of thinking about this, I was wondering, well, what might they look like today? What might these two people look like today? What might Simon look like? Well, possibly somebody who's maybe a little bit intrigued by Jesus, possibly, interested enough maybe to... Want to hear what he has to say? Maybe happy to come along to church from time to time, but probably more just to sort of observe. Uh, loving Jesus? Ooh, well, not not sure about that. Not not really. Actually, perhaps rather indifferent. Sort of take him or leave him. A bit okay for you, but I'm not into that really in a big way. Maybe on that scale we had at the start. You sort of thought, well, actually, I don't know what what to put on this. I wish there was another, you know, sometimes you get these questionnaires, don't you? I wish there was another option, like, don't know. Maybe we wish there was one of those. Well, if that's us, we need to hear Jesus' words to Simon, and his words to Simon are that little story. And we need to get our heads around verse 47, that he who is forgiven little, loves Little. We're not to misunderstand Jesus' story. You see, in Jesus' story, it isn't that Simon is the 50 denarii and the woman is the 500. Simon isn't a 50 denarii person who doesn't need much forgiveness. Simon's problem is that he doesn't see his need of forgiveness at all. There's only one person in this incident to whom Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And it's not Simon. And that's the challenge for us. Simon's a warning to any of us if we have little love for Jesus. It shows we don't understand our need to be forgiven by Jesus. Jesus says to Simon, you need to be forgiven What about the woman? What would the woman look like today, I wonder? Jesus is not physically present, so she can't be physically washing Jesus' feet. What would she be doing? Uh, In John 14, Jesus is teaching his disciples before he goes. And he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. In chapter 15, he says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Uh, The Apostle John writes in 1 John 4, I think there's a quote coming up on the screen, He who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this command we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. What would this woman be doing today? What, what does a love for Jesus, a love like hers, look like today? Well, she'd be, she'd be seen doing what Jesus commands, wouldn't she? And a, heart, a huge part of that would be to love Jesus' brothers, brothers and sisters. Love one another, says Jesus. And I think today she, she would be acting towards Jesus' followers in the same way that she acted toward Jesus I suspect we would see her engaged in, in, in love that was costly. Think back to that ointment that she brought. I don't know how much that would have cost. We don't, we, we know nothing about this woman. Did she have a whole stack of them on the shelf you know, in the larder at home? It's, oh, you know, great which one shall I take? Oh, I think that one will do. No, I don't think so. This was for Jesus. She would have taken, might be the only one. It would certainly be the best one. And she'd take that cheerfully and willingly. And I think today she'd be doing the best she could, wouldn't she, for for Jesus' people? It would be costly. It would be costing her in time and money as she looked to help the people who Jesus loves. I suspect, too, we'd see her engaged in love that was messy. I may have got this wrong, but... but I don't think that she went to that meal with the intention of washing Jesus' feet, because I think she would assume that that would have already been done. She went with the intention of anointing, yes, but when she got there and she saw Jesus' feet were dirty, uh, she thought, well, what can I do? I need to wash them. What have I got? And she was crying. She said, well, I've got the water. What do I need? I need something else. And she used her hair. Think what the streets were like in those days. Think of the mess that she was deliberately getting into her hair. And yet she did it cheerfully and willingly. It's been said before, I think, but one description of ministry is walking towards other people's problems. And I think this woman today, we'd see her walking towards other people. We'd see her in church and she would be going up to people and, and life is messy and, but she'd be going into the mess of people's lives and saying, what can I do? I'm not an expert of this, I've got this, I've got it, but how can I help? When she gets the church email asking for volunteers. How quickly would she delete it? I don't know. I suspect, too, we'd see her engaged in love that, uh, that challenges convention. Letting your hair down in public in those days, that was a no-no. And as for crying at someone's feet and using your hair as a cloth, well, that, that's sort of uh, unusual, to say the least. Frankly, almost embarrassing, isn't it, for the other guests? But this woman, she wasn't worried about losing face. At that meal, she literally lost her face, didn't she? So she was buried... But she wasn't concerned then about making a fool of herself. And I suspect today she'd be, not, she'd be the same. Unlike so many people around, she wouldn't be worried about her public image. As she steps across the normal boundaries of convention to help people, brothers and sisters who belong to Jesus, at school she would be... don't do that, do you? Yes, I do, because I need to help these people at work, at home, in the street. These are the two people who met Jesus today. And as we we step back and look at the characters in this incident, I wonder if we identify with any of them, either of them. Apparently some artists who painted uh, crowd scenes would occasionally put a little self-portrait in the painting so you see a sort of crowd of people and then sort of just round the pillar you just see the, the, the artist to decide I'll put myself as a in there as a, as a self-portrait where would we put ourselves in this incident well the right answer of course is that if we're following Jesus we know we ought to be identifying with the woman Back at at the start, we know that we ought to have put 10 out of 10 on that scale. We know that we ought to be loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. But but my problem is that, although I'd like to say I did, as as I look at that woman... At what she did then and how she loved then. And, and, and as I think about how she might love today, I'm not sure that I see myself. Why is that? Let's back to verse 47. You see, verse 47 would indicate that I've forgotten something. I've forgotten how much... Or how great is my debt? I've forgotten how much I've been forgiven. Uh, Maybe I was more like her, actually, when I started to follow Jesus. Maybe some of us can remember that time. We first came to Christ, we we realized so much that we needed his forgiveness. But as time's gone on, I just wonder if there's a danger sometimes as we go on in our Christian lives that we we secretly think that, that, that maybe on balance we're... We're sort of doing a bit okay now with God. I mean, on a set of scales, obviously, I'm not going to say we're actually in credit, because that's going a bit far, but yeah, there's the odd thing wrong. But I'm not as bad as I was, thank God, and my sins are, are certainly respectable, unlike hers. Well, verse 47 would tell me that I've forgotten something. Virgin, the 19th century preacher, hadn't forgotten. And commenting on this passage, he says this, Oh, friends, when I think of my life... Now, he's not talking about his life before he started to follow Jesus. He's talking about his life as a minister and a preacher. This is him now. Oh, friends, he says, when I think of my life, it seems to be like the sea... Made up of innumerable waves of sin, or like the seashore, constituted of sands that can't be weighed or counted. My faults are utterly innumerable, and each one deserving eternal death. Our sins. Our heavy sins, sins against light and knowledge, our foul sins, our repeated sins, our aggravated sins, our sins against our parents, our sins against all our, this will test the, the AV, this well done Lizzie, uh, relationships, our sins against our God, our sins with the body, our sins with the mind, our sins of forgetfulness, our sins of thought, our sins of imagination. Who can reckon them up in order unto God? What he's saying is, how can you measure that lot? Who knows the number of his trespasses? Now, To think that we can ever meet such a debt is indeed to bolster ourselves up with a notion that is utterly absurd. We have nothing to pay with. You see, it isn't a set of scales that we need to see. It's this, the next picture. We need to see again how great our debt is. Spurgeon reminds us, each sin deserving death And I need to realize my utter helplessness to do anything about it. Ever been shopping and tried to buy something and taken out your wallet and, oh no, nothing to pay with. Do you know the New Testament never says anywhere in it, now you need to start paying off your debt to God. Why not? Because it's impossible. Some of us at one time will have been in serious financial debt. Maybe some of us are at this moment. Debt we simply cannot pay. But what if someone else, at great personal cost, comes and says... I've taken your debt. Not 83% plus conditions which is what some debt forgiveness agencies will offer. I've taken your debt. I've paid for it all. You're free. That'd be something, wouldn't it? But that's just money. ha <laughs> just money. What about our debt? to God, that huge debt that we simply cannot pay, but what if someone Of el- course, we don't need to do the what if, do we? Because 2,000 years ago, someone else at the greatest personal cost came and died on a cross, Outside Jerusalem, and took not 83% plus conditions attached on that cross. He cried, It is finished. And I'm told the word is sometimes used that they stamped across bills. It is, pin- it is finished, paid in full. And what does Jesus say? Verse 48. As Jesus says to that woman, your sins, which are many, are forgiven. He says to those today who are putting their trust in Jesus, your sins, which are many, are forgiven. I wonder if I've got that. Have I got that my debt to God that I could never pay has been met by Jesus? someone put it like this, if I'm seeing things rightly, I am this woman. I am in debt. If I even know a fraction of my spiritual bankruptcy, I'd be on the floor kissing Christ's feet and I wouldn't care who saw me. Lord, we thank you that you know us through and through, you know our many sins, and yet you came to earth to die so that we might be forgiven. We pray that you'd help us to see more clearly the greatness of our forgiveness, and we pray that we might love you more and serve you better. And we ask it for your
0: name's sake. Amen.